0: Making the transition from the military to civilian life can be challenging in the best of circumstances, but for those suffering from the physical and mental scars of their service to Canada, making that transition can be a mountainous challenge. That's where Megan Macdonald and the True Patriot Love Foundation come into play. The not-for-profit fundraising organization supports currently serving members of the armed forces, veterans, and their families. Megan is in charge of fundraising for the foundation's major expeditions where ill and injured veterans are paired with business and community leaders for epic adventures, including a recent trek to Mount Everest.
1: I mean, I I think it's really about never giving up when you want something. I mean, there was a point where I was... I was ready to quit. I'm like, I I can't do this. And one of the other participants, you know, he sort of hit me across the back of my head in my helmet. And he's like, it's all mental from here on. We talked about this. He's like, you're getting to the top of this mountain with me. Let's go. And I got up and kept going. And that alone was, I don't want to say shocking to me, but I was like, "I, I can't believe I actually did that. I can't believe I found the strength. To get to the top of that mountain because I didn't think I had it.
0: Megan has worked for other nonprofit organizations in the past, but says the best part of her role with True Patriot Love is working with soldiers and seeing the direct impact and difference the organization is making. The very adventurous and big hearted Megan McDonald on this episode of Run It Like a Girl.
2: It's a beautiful sunny day today where we're downtown Toronto speaking with Megan McDonald of True Patriot Love Foundation. Megan, thank you so much for joining us for an episode of Run It Like a Girl. Thank you for having me. So not too long ago, you uh, you just got back from Mount Everest. I did. So that is a claim that not too many people can make. Yeah, uh, it uh, it was pretty incredible. That is fantastic. And and I want to talk about that in a minute, but I thought maybe we'd dive in. And could you tell us a little bit about uh, True Patriot Love Foundation, the work that you're doing there, and and what what your organization is all about? Sure. So we are a fundraising
1: organization, um, not-for-profit. We raise money for um, currently serving members of the Canadian Armed Forces veterans and their families. So our focus tends to be on um, veterans who are transitioning out of military into a civilian career, um, mental health for veterans who have been affected by PT. TSD or other OSIs, um, rehabilitation physically, um, and also children of military families who, you know, struggle a little bit because of all the the constant
2: relocation of our military members across the country. Wow, that's a pretty incredible organization. It's pretty incredible. Absolutely. And you guys are, are, we're one of the... Uh, organizations that brought Invictus Games
1: here. Yes, we actually are the ones who secured the bid for the Invictus Games. And one of our board members, Michael Burns, actually moved over to be the CEO of Invictus when they came over.
2: Oh, wow. Yeah, that's... Um, so in your role, you, you help with your expeditions Yes, that you do. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So, um, our expedition started in 2012 and what we do is we pair ill and injured, um, both currently serving members and veterans of the Canadian Armed Forces with Canadian business leaders and send them on these epic adventures, um, that allow them to break down barriers, sort of see each other on the same level. Um, there's obviously a very challenging physical component and a physical or a mental, um, challenge there as well. Um, And the point is really to help these soldiers who are being medically released from the military transition into civilian life. And our civilian business leaders become mentors to these soldiers as they transition. So if they need help with, you know, interview skills or networking or that kind of thing, they sort of build those those friendships and those bonds and they support each other moving forward. That's great. It's a lot of fun.
0: I imagine. a lot of fun.
1: There's a lot of bonding that would happen a on those. A lot of bonding. A lot of bonding. And we've done some incredible trips. We've been to the Himalayas twice. We skied to the magnetic North Pole. We climbed a mountain in Antarctica. So lots of lots of crazy, difficult, fun, fun things going on. And how long have you been with the
0: organization? Um so about a year and a
2: half, just over a year and a half. So was Everest your first trip? It was. So it was. uh you know, I'd love to hear about that. How um how you uh, Maybe if you could talk a little bit, I imagine in addition to the physical um, training that you would have to do in order to to make the climb, there must have been some mental training that you have to do as well. Um, What does that look like?
1: I mean, I probably definitely should have done some mental training. (laughs)
2: I probably didn't do as much
1: as I should have. Um, I did a lot of physical training, but the mental side, I probably could have worked a little bit harder on. Um, and, And I mean, that's something that we certainly encourage all of our participants to do. I think I was more focused on making sure that everybody was ready and fundraising and felt comfortable and had everything they needed. So I sort of just, I was getting on the plane and I'm like, I'm getting myself into. <laughs> um, so that that part was a little bit nerve-wracking, but um, you know, I got there, and it was really just one foot in front of the other, and one step at a time, and I will get there, and
2: you'll get there. That's sort
1: of how I I you know saw the whole experience. And how long did it take? How long were you guys over there for? So we were there for 18 days. Um, we had a day in Kathmandu to sort of relax and get rid of the jet lag, and then we started our climb in Lukla, and it took about 14 days to get to Everest Base Camp. So lots of up and down for, you know, every day it was, some days it was three hours, some days it was eight hours. Some days there were ridiculous hills that took us, you know, four hours to get up and it was just straight climbing. Um, so it was, it was a trek trek. So, you know, there's
2: movies about Mount Everest, and there's so much out there that you can read. Um, I'd love to know, from your perspective, what was, what was the most challenging aspect of, of doing that climb? So I have
1: to tell you that I made the mistake of watching the movie Everest with my parents before I went. My dad burst into tears. He's like, you can't go. You're not allowed. Um, which, was, which was quite cute. Um, honestly, all, all of it's challenging. I mean, it's so much fun, but all of it's challenging. And I think, I mean, the most challenging part is not being able to breathe. Um, so it's, it's very slow. It's, you know, you take one step and it's a deep breath and another step and it's a deep breath. Um, and then you get to the point where you're so close to the top and you can see it. But you don't think you can take another step. And that's that's sort of where the mental piece comes in. Um, also, the not showering for 15 days was a little bit
2: challenging. Oh, yeah. I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I've ever been so dirty.
1: Um, I think I spent a full hour in the shower when I got back to yeah.
2: Kathmandu. At least everyone's in the same situation. Exactly.
1: So nobody can tell that you smell. It's fine. <laughs> because you
2: all smell the same. And it's cold, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah,
1: I mean... I don't think there is one most challenging part. I think it's all challenging, which is kind of the beauty of it, mm-hmm. because you're outside your comfort zone the entire time that you're there.
2: Yeah. Which, is,
1: which is, I
2: mean, full of growth potential in and of itself. Wow. That's, uh, that's pretty incredible. I, I'd love to know. So if you're a veteran or a business leader, how do, how do, how do they get involved with, with something like this?
1: Um, So for our veterans, we do have an application process. Um, So we we advertise through our social media channels, um, through the MFRCs across the country, um, through past soldier participants who have done this and know someone who might benefit from it. Um, So there's, there's an application process, there's an interview, there are reference checks. Um, they, they get a chance to speak to our team doctor who makes sure that they're both mentally and physically fit to go on the expedition. Um, and we're really looking for veterans who are, you know, 50 to 75% transitioned, have good leadership skills, want to participate in a mentorship program. Um, and we do stress that our mentorship programs go both ways because we know that our business leaders have just as much to learn from our military veterans as, um, our, as the military veterans have to learn from them. Um, so it's really an incredible experience. Um, In terms of the business leaders, so we, I mean, we recruit through um, participant networks, through our networks, um, and we're really looking for people who want to give their time. Um, And you'll hear that from a lot of the veterans on the trip, is that I know these people have the capacity to write me a check and pay for something that will help me in the long run. But what I didn't know is that they're willing to give two weeks of their time or three weeks of their time, depending on how long the expedition is, to support me and help me feel better both mentally and physically about what I'm going through and about my transition. Um, so that's really what we're looking for is a, you know, a civilian business leader or a community leader who wants to give their time, who has the capacity to fundraise because the expeditions are a fundraising event um, and, you know, people who are, who are physically fit and are looking to do something like this. You know, we try to pick bucket list trips um, that will interest as many people as possible, Um, and that's sort of how we go about it.
2: So when you talk about being 50 to 75% transition status, I mean, they're, they're ending their military career and kind of, what does it look like when you, who would want to participate? Um so so
1: um yeah so some of them are ending some of them aren't quite there yet um a lot of them are being medically released either due to physical injury or mental injury um so they're sort of in that in between phase where they're technically still in the military but they're looking for their next move and they'll be released in you know depending on the release date 6 to 8 months to a year later um so those are the people that tend to benefit from the expedition but we've also had a couple of participants who are still are currently serving and they're just looking to build those connections and figure out what else is out there if they do decide to to move on at some point.
2: So it's interesting. I was reading an article uh, about, about you. I think it was in Women of Influence. Yes. And, you know, it talked about how you can kind of relate that to career. Yes. And you have uh, you actually um, went back to school not too long ago.
1: I did, about four um,
2: years about ago. About four years ago. So how did you make that decision? Like what, what made you decide to, to take the... So I was
1: working for the Canadian Cancer Society at the time um, in a marketing and fundraising role there. And I I enjoyed my job, but there really wasn't a lot of room for um, promotion at that point. There was, you know, people were sticking around and there was really nowhere for me to go. And I didn't have a formal education in business. And that's something that I wanted to pursue. So I decided that that was the optimum time for me to go back and get my MBA. Um, It was, it was not an easy choice. You know, my, my family tried to convince me to do the whole part-time route and keep my job. And I, I just decided that I didn't, that wasn't really the kind of life I was looking for. I didn't want to not have a social life outside Mm of that. So I sort of dropped everything I was doing here and moved back to Kingston for a year.
2: And then um, after you were finished, was you straight into True Patriot Love or were there? No. So I went to the MS Society from oh, okay. um, from my
1: MBA. I had um, a connection there who I worked with at the Canadian Cancer Society previously. And there was a role that fit with what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, it was focused on more events and strategy. So I, I jumped into that role and I was there for a couple of years. Um, but same sort of thing. Not a whole lot of room for growth, for, you know, promotion. Um, and that's when this True Patriot Love opportunity came up.
2: So is not-for-profit, though? Has that always been the, the plan? That was never the plan, Oh, <laughs> oddly enough.
1: Um, I sort of just ended up at the Canadian Cancer Society out of my undergrad. I did my undergrad in sociology, which, you know, there's not a whole lot you can do with that. I did, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, depending on where you want to go. So I, you know, I sort of ended up at CCS, and I, I really enjoyed the not-for-profit side. Um, I, I really enjoyed the fact that the work I do has an impact, um and the thing I like most about True Patriot Life Foundation is I get to see that every day. Sometimes with the bigger um not for profits you don't interact with the people that you're helping. It's you, mm-hmm. still very bureaucratic, but with TPL I interact with soldiers all the time and I get to see the difference that we're making and the way we're changing their lives and that's really really important. It must be an incredible feeling. It is. Yeah. It really
2: is. I bet. So um I'd love to talk a bit about mentorship. So you've had you've made a few changes and you've uh, done a lot of interesting thing. How has mentorship played a, a role in your career and in your life?
1: So that's an interesting question. I'm not sure I I have one specific mentor. Um I you know I've had people throughout my career who have been incredibly supportive and who have, you know, given me advice and helped me along the way. And I've had some really great bosses who have taught me a lot and I've had some not great bosses who have also taught me a lot. Um so that that's sort of the way I view it. And I you know I I take advantage of that as much as possible. When I meet somebody that I know I can learn a lot from, I, I, I do just that and I spend as much time with them as I can.
2: And I imagine you also are making relationships and all, um, on that trip. I mean, you must have made relationships with everyone there. Absolutely. <laughs> I have some very
1: good friends that I will have for the rest of my life.
2: Yeah. I mean, it must have been incredible to be with such an amazing group of people. Uh, what, what are some of your key takeaways from your trip to uh, Mount Everest?
1: Um, well, the Himalayas are very, very dirty.
2: <laughs> very dirty. <laughs> really?
1: <laughs> There's lots of yak dung and lots of dust. Um, but the, I mean, the team was incredible and it's so interesting to see the different ways that people react to stress. You know, some people sort of retreated to themselves. Some people use humor to get through it. Some people cry. I spent, you know, more time than I would like to admit crying <laughs> when things got a little bit tough. I got pretty sick while I was there. So I, um, that part was a little hard for me. I think I was more angry at my body. I'm like, why, why are you giving up on me now? I've worked so hard for this. Um, but I think that was the coolest part is sort of seeing how everybody reacted and then seeing how the team came together to all get to Everest Base Camp together because we weren't leaving anybody behind, yeah. which was really cool. We actually, one of our participants um, had really serious altitude sickness and he ended up having, having to stay back a day. Um, so we left him at a little bit of lower altitude because he just couldn't, he couldn't make the climb to the next the next level. Um, and we didn't think he was going to make it to base camp, but he felt better and he got his guide up at 5 a.m., and he trekked six hours to meet us and then trekked five hours back out. So it was an incredibly long day for him, but there was no way he wasn't making it, and there was no way we wanted to make it to base camp without the whole team. So it was it was pretty incredible to see that happen.
2: So a lot of resilience. A
1: lot of resilience.
2: That you're seeing there. And I guess these are all traits that can be so directly related to career and development and, and how, uh, how a person wants to approach their life. Um, so I think uh, the resilience must have been something – just out of this world to see. And how do you think you're taking what you've learned from your your journey back to back to your life?
1: Um, I mean, I, I think it's really about never giving up when you want something. I mean, there was a point where I was I was ready to quit. I'm like, I, I can't do this. And one of the other participants, you know, he sort of hit me across the back of my head in my helmet, and he's like, it's all mental from here on. We talked about this. He's like, you're getting to the top of this mountain with me. Let's go. And I got up and kept going, and that alone was – I don't want to say shocking to me, but I was like, I, c- I can't believe I actually did that. I can't believe I found the strength to get to the top of that mountain because I didn't think I had it. So I, I've sort of been applying that to my daily life because, I mean, there's always times when things get hard and you want to give up or you want to do something different, but you just, you got to get through it. You have to, it's that mental strength and that mental piece that you really need to just push through.
2: What's next? Where are you going next? Uh, so we have a couple of exciting <laughs>
1: trips happening in 2019. Um, we're doing our regular expedition to, um, Orizaba, which is a, it's the third highest mountain in North America. It's in Mexico. Um, so that's our regular male, female expedition. And then we're also doing a women's only expedition to Baffin Island next April.
2: Super cool. Yeah, So
1: that one's, we're really excited about that one. It's the first time we've ever done something like this. Um, and it's really about highlighting women and their resilience and their strength and how they integrate that type of, um, mindset in their daily lives and in their work-life balance and how do they manage the family and how do they do this and how do, you know there's so many things that happen there so that's that's a piece that we're really excited about <laughs>
2: yeah super cool yeah. Um, and I you know I'd love to ask you this is a question we kind of ask all of our guests um if you could go back to maybe maybe 19 year old version of yourself and have lunch Um, what what do you think, what would your conversation look like and and what kind of advice would you give yourself?
1: (laughs) That's a really interesting question, actually. Um, I think I would tell myself not to be so hard on myself. I, you know, I've struggled with self-esteem and with confidence, um, for a big part of my life. And I feel like I have finally gotten to a point where I've, I've sort of got that under control, whether that's, you know, working on my physical appearance, on my mental ability, I used to, you know, think that I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't skinny enough, I wasn't pretty enough, I wasn't going to be able to do anything in my life, Um, and I was really hard on myself back then, and I don't know why, because, I mean, look how far I've come, and I, you know, it's, again, it's the same thing as climbing a mountain, it's one foot in front of the other, and you'll figure it out, and um, so I I would tell myself not to be so hard on myself, and that it's all going to be okay.
2: Great piece of advice that I think many, many people could use. There's always something, right? If I have Absolutely. straight hair, I want curly hair. If I
1: yeah, grass is always green. But the truth is, the grass is always green where you water it. So, and I think people don't often remember that.
2: I like that. Yeah, I like that. Well, Megan, I just I would love to thank you so much for taking the time to come and speak with us today, and uh, for being on an episode of Run It Like a Girl. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is great.
0: Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak and music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gilichuk. On the next episode of Run It Like a Girl, Savon Pelvetsian heads up Civic Action, an organization that tackles some of the toughest social, economic, and environmental challenges in the Greater Toronto area, and she's well qualified to do so. Savon worked for the government of Ontario for nearly a decade, where she held senior leadership roles in strategic planning, communications, and stakeholder relations. And that's after she worked at the University of Toronto, the World Bank Group, and with an educational program out of Washington. Sylvan Povetsian on the next episode of Run It Like a Girl.